Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. We're going to be speaking and continuing on the, the five benefits to fasting and prayer, benefit number four, and we're going to get into uh, like we've been doing all week, praying through each and one of these benefits every day. So we started off with crucifixion of the flesh. We prayed through that on Monday. Then we moved on to consecration. Fasting and prayer is a consecration of oneself to the holy purposes and plans of God. And we prayed through that. God, make us an honorable uh, vessel for your honorable use. Yesterday, we dived heavily into uh, fasting being the secret for kingdom zeal. And we prayed for God to put his zeal, the zeal of the Lord upon us, to burn off distractions and keep us supernaturally focused at the task at hand this year. And so uh, today we're going to get into fasting and prayer and its effect on our faith. And it's very important to uh, spend a lot of time in your study of the word. A lot of time should be given towards the study of faith. Why? Because faith governs the Christian life. The Bible makes it clear the just shall live by faith. Your life in Christianity uh, is going to be a reflection of the strength of faith that you carry on the inside of you. And so we're going to talk about today how fasting and prayer can uh, greatly benefit your faith, grow your faith. And stay tuned because I'm going to show you how that's done. Hello, William. Hello, Ruth. God bless you. Uh, if you'll take a second before we get into it, please help me share this broadcast on uh, Facebook. It's easy. Click that share button, hit the like button on YouTube, like the video. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm telling you a little tiny tap of the like button goes a long way with YouTube. Uh, you can comment throughout the broadcast. All of that's going to help us. If something strikes your spirit, write amen, type fire emojis, however else you want to express it and uh, be engaged. And I, I've always said this, and I'll continue to say it, we have some of the best, not some of, we have the best viewership of any ministry. And I don't say that lightly. There are bigger ministries than ours, but in terms of engagement and in terms of comments, we have a, a heavily disproportionate, in the, in the good sense of the word, heavily disproportionate uh, viewership engagement uh, compared to the size of audience that we have. There are some mega ministries that have like a thousand people watching with like very few comments coming in, very few people actually engaged. We, don't, we might have 100, 120 people tune in today, and yet the comment level is, is insane. And so I'm very, very uh, touched by that, and I'm very glad about that. And uh, I never take that for granted. I don't take any of this for granted. I don't take the studio we're in for granted. I don't take the ability... Uh, to get on live and then all of a sudden already we have 51 people watching that otherwise if we didn't have this given to us by the Lord we would have nobody watching we'd have nothing being done I'd be sitting down in my living room chair uh, staring at a white wall and so I'm very very grateful to the Lord for every one of you that have been so faithful to watch this broadcast and I, I get your testimonies I see your testimonies I see those that write in either to my Instagram or you contact the ministry website page uh, either way, I, I read the testimonies of how God's used this broadcast to not just uh, help your life, but to drastically transform you. 
and equip you and train you up to be used mightily of the Lord. And so there's some of you that have been called into ministry on this broadcast. There's some of you that uh, have been divinely healed by the power of God through this broadcast. And so I never get tired of hearing all the testimonies. And I'm very grateful. And I pray for you guys. I pray. I do pray for all of our partners. I pray for, for those that are in, um, connected to this ministry through this broadcast. I pray. I pray for you guys. Our ministry prays for you. And uh, one thing we're going to do this year that we didn't do any other year is that we're going to be doing three days of fasting and prayer every single month. Now, whether you want to do the fast is up to you, but at least join in on the prayer part of it. And three days out of the month, we're going to do broadcasts, one, two, three. Whether it's the first three days of the month or, or the last three days of the month, we're going to schedule something for that. But regardless, uh, those three days, we're going to do prayer broadcasts. And we're going to, we're going to I want to do more ministry towards you, uh, praying for everybody, specifics, uh, specific prayer requests and all that. We're going to do prayer nights. We're going to do live call-in prayer meetings. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. We are expanding our, uh, we're expanding our content production. And I, I, I really believe that. Yeah, there you go. Vlad does that also. That's awesome. Praise God. So I, I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's get in it straight away. Fasting 101, five benefits to fasting and prayer. Part number four and today we're going to be speaking about how fasting and prayer burns off unbelief in people. Fasting and prayer can greatly assist in the development of your faith. Fasting and prayer does not bring faith, but fasting and prayer can heavily influence the development and the growth phase of your faith. What do I mean by that? Well, let's read a story before we get on to anything else. Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. This is what the Bible says. When Jesus came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing, arguing with his disciples. Immediately when they saw Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed. They stopped arguing and they ran to Jesus to greet him. Isn't that interesting? Because you have full you have full quote-unquote ministries that all they do is argue. All they do, they feel like they're God's watchman on the tower and that their divine task for their life is to argue doctrine with everybody else. There's no ministry of arguing. These scribes, that's all they did. They spent their time in nothing else except for arguing, arguing, and uh, debating. You have ministries that don't win the loss, that don't pray for the sick. Matter of fact, not only do they not win the loss or pray for the sick, all they do is heavily criticize those who do win the loss and those who do pray for the sick. And it's a very sad, sad life when you live like that. You know, Paul the Apostle said in the last days, there's going to be people who hold to a form of godliness, but they deny, reject, argue, and neglect the very power that's able to help people. I remember the story of D.L. Moody, who was a great evangelist in the 1800s, and he would win many people to the Lord. And he uh, was building a huge church because of his efforts. He even built a Bible college, and all kind, God did all kinds of stuff through his life. And uh, when the local Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they summoned him one day, and they said, we don't like the way you're doing evangelism in Chicago. 
We don't like your tactics. We don't appreciate your technique. And so D.L. Moody, in the spirit of humility, said, that's very nice. I honor you. You guys are the elders. But may I simply ask one thing. Do, do you do evangelism? And if so, what strategies are you using to be effective in that? And they said, well, we don't really venture into that field much. And so he replied, well then, I like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't do evangelism. And that's, what, that's, that's a spirit of religion that has not died out even from the days of Jesus till now. That same spirit of religion is there. You have a people that feel like they've carried the, the ministry of criticism. I've got the ministry of criticism. I've got the ministry of discernment. There is no ministry of discernment. There is no gift of discernment. The spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12 that refers to discernment is referred to as the, the gift of discerning of spirits. The gift of discerning of spirits. It's not the gift of discernment. It's not the gift of criticism. It's not the gift of being able to give your opinion in a harsh, critical manner. It's the gift of discerning of spirits. What does that mean? You can discern the spiritual realm. You can discern angels. You can discern demons. And you can discern the operation of the Spirit of God in a place or in a service. You can also discern a human spirit, whether someone's uh, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile like Jesus discerned in Nathaniel's life. Or you can discern a human spirit that is not to be trusted. That's a great gift when you're especially hiring people for your business. You can discern someone that's to be trusted, someone that's not to be trusted. But it's certainly not the gift of criticism or the gift of gossip. You have people that gossip all throughout the the church, and then they say, well, I'm just operating in a spiritual gift. Leave me alone. No, you're an idiot. You're not operating in a spiritual gift. You're, you're in danger of disaster and destruction. You're in danger of going to hell because your hatred for everybody is being masqueraded or camouflaged in this supposed gift of the Spirit, which is not a gift of the Holy Ghost. If anything, your gift of gossip is a gift of an unclean spirit. But you have... That happening in Jesus' day. That's why when people, you know, they come to me and they say, you know, people are criticizing what, am I, what I'm doing. What should, I, what should I do? What should I reply? Don't reply at all. Let your life be the reply to those people. Let the fruit that you generate be the reply to those people. Don't give them the satisfaction of reply. Don't even give them, you don't see Jesus reply. The only time Jesus ever replied to the scribes or the Pharisees, it was in a way that got them to shut up and then leave. He never took time to actually reply to their question, he always asked something else that got them to be shamefaced and left. So when it comes to how should I reply, you know, there's a lot of haters out there. What should I be doing? Just remember what Jesus said. This is what you should be doing. Remember what Jesus said. Woe unto, unto you if all men speak well of you. Woe unto you if all men speak well of you. If nobody's ever hating on what you're doing, if nobody's ever criticizing what you're doing, if nobody's ever called you a false prophet or a false teacher or whatever false, then you might not be doing anything true. There should be a time where people call you all kinds of names. They said it to Jesus and Jesus himself said, a disciple's not above his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, they will call his servants demons. They called Jesus a demon. They called John the Baptist demon possessed because he didn't eat or drink wine. And he was in desert places. So you're in good company when people criticize you. You're in very good company. Jesus said, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things falsely against you for my sake. 
You know, he's, he said, for my sake. So he's not saying, you're a jerk, and now people are starting to notice it. No, we're not getting criticized because we're jerks or we're arrogant or we're doing things wrongly. We're being criticized because we're doing things right. And Jesus said, when you do things right and people blaspheme you or criticize you or speak all kinds of evil against you, rejoice in that moment because great is your reward in heaven. We talked about this yesterday or the day before when we talked about consecration to God's purposes through fasting and prayer, that one of the things fasting and prayer does is it burns off the desire to be liked by people. It burns off the desire to care about what other people are criticizing you with. It burns off the, the um, desire to even care about the opinions of others. And it puts in you a drive to focus in on what God is doing. Because, you know, there's that picture that they had in the Olympics several years ago when Michael Phelps was still swimming. And you see him swimming, and he's next to another guy uh, who was in second place. And Michael Phelps is focused on the finish line. You see there's this crazy athletic focus that he has. He's zoned in on finishing the race. But the second place guy that was competing with him, you see his eyes looking at Michael Phelps to catch up how far ahead is he from me. Winners don't focus on other people running in other lanes. Winners focus on completing the race. It's people that come in second and third place that are always focused on comparing themselves with others or looking to what other people are doing, focus on what other people are saying about them. Even Jesus, he didn't even know what people were saying about him. He asked his disciples, hey, what are, you, what are people saying about me? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. He, he didn't even know himself or else he would have said, hey, don't you, have you heard? They think I'm John the Baptist. Have you heard? They think I'm Elijah. He actually didn't even know what people were saying about him. He, he had to ask the disciples. Why? Because he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem and do what God called him to do. He said, I must work the works that are sent before me while it is yet day for night comes when no man can work. So I pray, I don't know who that word is for, but I feel like there's people that tuned in right now that you've kind of gotten discouraged by other people's opinions of what you're doing. Lose that discouragement today. And I pray the Holy Ghost supernaturally encourages you through this broadcast to pick up your boxing mitts, put them back on your hands, get the mouth guard back in your mouth, get back into the octagon, and give the devil the biggest butt whooping he's ever had in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. You're not a loser. You're running in such a way to win. You're going to win. Luke, uh, Mark chapter 9. So the scribes were arguing with them, but immediately when they saw Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed, and they ran to Jesus greeting him. And he asked the scribes, what are you arguing with them? What are you discussing with them? One of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. And he becomes rigid. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not do it. I want you to pay attention to that. It's not that the disciples would not do it. It's that the disciples could not do it. Why couldn't they do it? Well, it certainly isn't because God didn't give him the authority to do it. Because if you study Mark chapter 3, which is six chapters before this, uh, chapter of Mark chapter 9, you, you read about Jesus calling his disciples to him that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach 
to do what? Cast out devils and heal the sick. Cast out devils and heal the sick. So they already carried the authority to cast out this devil. Why couldn't they do it then? Let's read on and find out. Hi, Bonnie. Hello, Brian. Hello, uh, Candace. Hello, Melissa. Hello, Righteous Rebellious Heart. <laughs> Hello, Alex. God bless you guys. Uh, thanks for watching today. If you'll do me a favor and just help me get this word out to more people on YouTube, hit that like button. Uh, you can comment. Comment where you're watching from. Comment uh, amen if anything hits your spirit. And then on Facebook, hit that share button. It'd be a great help to me this morning or this afternoon. So why couldn't they cast the demon out? Let's keep reading. Mark chapter 9, verse 19. And Jesus answered him and said, O faithless generation. Another translation says, You unbelieving people. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. Well, who was Jesus saying was faithless? Who was Jesus addressing when he said, you're unbelieving people? He wasn't talking necessarily only to the, the, the father of the boy that was demon-possessed, although I'm sure he was included in it. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking to his disciples who failed to deal with the demonic power harassing and bullying this young boy. He was referring to his disciples. He was speaking to his disciples. You disciples are a faithless, unbelieving people. How long am I going to be with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Another translation says, bring him to me. When they brought him to Jesus and the, man, the boy saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground, wallowing, foaming at the mouth. Immediate manifestation. And notice what happened after here is Jesus cast the demon out of the boy. And I want to encourage some of you that, you know, some people feel like when things go from bad to worse that they've lost the battle. When things go from bad to worse, it's actually a sign that the anointing is there to win the battle. Things went from, the boy was actually sitting there in his right mind for a second. Jesus shows up and he starts to convulse and foam at the ground. The devil will always try and put on a last-ditch effort, showtime effort to get people to back down, get intimidated, strike fear back into people so that they back down from the promise. But if you'll stick up and you'll stand up and refuse to back down from anything God's promised you, you'll see you'll get delivered. You'll get free. You'll get the promise. You'll get the breakthrough. You'll get whatever you're believing for because faith never quits. And when faith doesn't quit, the devil does quit. He asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood, he's often thrown him both in the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible to him who believes. So if you can do anything, that was the father's unbelief. And Jesus corrected him and said, if I can, what do you mean if I can? I can do all things. All things are possible to him that believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people coming running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out, convulsed him, 
greatly and came out of him, so he became as one dead. So that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus answered, this kind comes out not except by, but by fasting and prayer, or by prayer and fasting. Now, if you go to Matthew chapter 17, Matthew 17, we have the uh, synoptic gospel of Matthew here that has the same exact story. But the reply Jesus gives the disciples has an extra thing tied on to it. So the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Matthew's gospel doesn't just say fasting and prayer. He adds something else Jesus had said that Mark doesn't necessarily include, but it's important, and it happened. Matthew says, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to mountains, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And he's signifying here that there's no demon power that will be able to resist your command. Verse 21, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Oftentimes, it is taught when this passage of Scripture is being expounded on that this kind, when Jesus referred to the kind that needed to go out, this kind, Jesus was referring to a demonic spirit. That Jesus was saying the demon spirit that I just dealt with that thing doesn't come out except if you mix your prayers with fasting. You need to fast and pray or else you are helpless against this demon spirit. But I actually believe in context that Jesus was not referring to a demon spirit when he said this kind doesn't go out except by fasting and prayer. And Matthew's gospel actually allows us to unravel uh, this mystery, so to say. Because when... The disciples asked Jesus, why, couldn't, why were we helpless against this demon spirit? Why couldn't we cast this demon spirit out? Jesus, in Matthew, replies immediately, because of your unbelief. And remember what we read before. He told the disciples when he arrived on the scene, you faithless and you unbelieving generation, how long am I going to put up with you? So Jesus is irritation, his frustration in his spirit when he saw the boy demonized and the disciples not being able to take care of the situation at hand. His frustration was not with the demon at hand. His frustration was, what, was with the unbelief that the disciples had, which led to their inability to deal with the, the demon spirit. And so when Jesus says, this is un this unbelief, it's because of your unbelief that you've not been able to successfully carry out the task of casting out this demon, then he moves on to say, because if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, not only demons, you can talk to mountains, and mountains would move out of your way. There's nothing. He says, there is nothing that would be impossible for you. 
And he finishes off by saying, however, this kind doesn't come out except through fasting and prayer. I believe the kind that Jesus was referring to that he said had to come out in order for the disciples to become better effective in exercising this authority God had already given them to cast demons out, this kind was the unbelief that they still carried in their, in their own selves. So Jesus wasn't saying you need to fast and pray because you need more authority and you need more power to deal with this demon. That's, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't coincide with the rest of the teachings of Jesus. Because Luke 10 says he already gave us all power and all authority. We already carry the authority. We already carry the power to cast out unclean spirits, to trample upon demon spirits, and over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means harm us. We already have that. It's not something I need to believe for more. It's not something I need to ask God to give me. In Christ Jesus, I am seated at the place of heavenly, uh, I'm seated in a place in heavenly places in Christ Far above powers, far above demon principalities, far above any authority in any name that is named in this age and also in the age to come. So if I already have all those things, if the greater one that's greater than anyone that is in this world or any demon spirit in this world already dwells in me, what could it be that hindered the disciples from exercising that authority? And I believe it was unbelief. Faith is required to exercise the divine privilege of authority over demon spirits and over all the power of the devil. Faith is what activates that authority. Every Christian, even the pinky toe of the body of Christ, because remember when the disciples came back in Luke chapter 10 and said, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name, Jesus didn't say, yes, because you fasted and prayed. Remember, I told you, if you'd fast and pray, you'd... Matter of fact, the disciples didn't fast and pray, even at that moment, because the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and said, why do we fast often, and the disciples of John fast often, but your, your disciples never fast? So they didn't fast. Jesus replied and said, the bridegroom will one day be taken away from them. In that day, they will fast, but until then, they don't need to fast, because Jesus was physically present with them. So that's proof that they weren't even fasting while Jesus was on the earth. And yet in Luke 10, they had a successful, a successful time of ministry in casting out devils, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, and doing everything God called them to do. What did Jesus reply when they said, even demons are subject to us in your name? Jesus replied, don't rejoice that the demon's spirits are subject to your command. Rather rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. You know what that tells you? Jesus was, signi was signifying by this that even if you feel like the pinky toe in the body of Christ, even if you feel like the nail on the pinky toe of the body of Christ, even if you feel like the appendix of the body of Christ that has really no great purpose, even if you feel like some non-important, non non-essential thing in the body of Christ, even the smallest individual that belongs to Christ's body carries more authority and more power than any demon spirit and carries the supernatural mandate of dominion over the devil. Jesus was, was saying, don't rejoice that demon spirits are subject to you. Rejoice because you're saved. And because you're saved, and because you're a citizen of heaven, one of the benefits of becoming a citizen of heaven is being able to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. So what Jesus 
was referring to in Matthew 17, 21, when he said this kind does not come out except through fasting and prayer, this kind is referring to unbelief. Unbelief hinders you not only from believing God, which is obvious, but unbelief will hinder you from acting on the authority God has given you. Unbelief will hinder you from using the name of Jesus in power. Unbelief will hinder you from walking out what God's called you to do on the earth. And so Jesus said, fasting and prayer actually deals with unbelief. How does it do that? This kind comes not out except by fasting and prayer. Unbelief comes not out except by, this type of unbelief, this level of unbelief does not come out except through by fasting and prayer. How does fasting and prayer affect that unbelief. Well, where does unbelief come from? If the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, then the fruit of the flesh is faithlessness. Unbelief, now there is a spirit of unbelief, and there are people that carry a spirit of unbelief. I mean, there's a demon spirit that works against people to uh, make it incredibly hard to believe anything. Not only what God says, there's some people, they got a spirit of unbelief. They don't believe anything anybody says. They wouldn't believe you if you told them the sky was blue and the grass is green and the birds are chirping today. They, they just don't believe anything. They're high pessimists. Well, that's a spirit of unbelief. There's people in the church that are dominated by a spirit of unbelief. They don't believe in tongues. It's foolishness to them. They don't believe in divine healing, that God is still working miracles in the earth today. It's foolishness to them. They don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They've essentially just removed anything supernatural from the Bible, and they just keep to the nice principles and teachings of Jesus. But although I love the principles and teachings of Jesus, you can't ignore the fact that this book is a supernatural book. It has the divine imprint on it, and you can't go more than three chapters without seeing somebody rising from the dead or somebody getting healed or something supernatural happening in the stories that are being told. So there are people that carry a spirit of unbelief, but it's not everyone. And I really firmly and strongly believe that most people's unbelief is a result of the carnal man. Let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This just popped into my spirit. The Holy Ghost is speaking right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to this. We speak wisdom amongst those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Hallelujah. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul here is saying, there is inconceivable, unimaginable, unprecedented things God has prepared for you to enjoy this year in 2024. They're prepared. They're available. They're accessible. They're ready to be delivered. All you got to press is ship. But, verse 10 says, God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So Paul's essentially getting into here, uh, or, or getting into the requirement 
that is needed for us to tap into these things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered the heart of man, but are prepared for us. They're available, they're accessible, they're ready to be received. Although, Paul moves on now and he shows the reason why some people don't get it and some people by faith pull it down with force. Because remember, the kingdom of heaven, ever since John the Baptist's days, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, healing's been available, Deliverance has been available. Supernatural breakthroughs been available. Provisions been available. Prosperity's been available. The kingdom of heaven has been accessible and available, but the violent in faith take it by force. So just because God said, this is my will, this is what I want, does not necessarily mean it's automatically going to transpire in your life. There is what I must do. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man. These amazing things that God has prepared for you this year, but God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. That's why fasting and prayer, one of the things it does is it shuts off your flesh, man. It shuts off the noise of this world. It shuts off the noise of your carnal nature. And it heightens your spirit's ability to hear the voice of the spirit so that you can start to have these things, which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, revealed to your spirit. God has revealed them to us through his spirit, to our spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. That's why, by show of hand emojis in the chat, how many of you, during a fast, even during this time of fasting and prayer, that you've read the Bible, and all of the sudden, something you never caught on to, something you never understood, something that you've read through the book of John 70 different times in the last 70 different years, and yet all of a sudden, something just popped into your heart, and you're like, how? Could I have missed that? Well, that's what fasting and prayer does. Then shall your light break forth. Light connotes spiritual revelation, revelation of the word of God. When you fast and when you pray, things that were previously hard to comprehend, complex to your human mind to get or understand, all of a sudden God opens up your mind to comprehend the scriptures and the spirit of God, you start to get into the school of the spirit where Holy Ghost becomes your teacher and things that you could not understand all of a sudden become so simple and so hard to miss that you wonder how did I ever even get past this passage without seeing that. Well, that's what Paul's saying here. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want surface-level faith. And let me make this clear to you. This is important as we talk about faith, unbelief, and what fasting and prayer does to supplement or uh, generate faith in our lives. I don't want to stay at a low level of faith. And your level of faith is going to be directly proportionate to the level of revelation you have in the Word of God. Why do I say that? Because your faith cannot go beyond your actual knowledge of God's Word. Your faith, I'm going to say that again, your faith cannot go beyond your actual knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. You can't have faith for God to do something you don't even know He provides for. You can't have faith for God to do something you don't even know exists in his economy. You can't have faith for God to do something when you don't even understand his word on that matter. Understanding is the bedrock for strong Bible faith to grow. Hallelujah. And that's why fasting and prayer is important because it shuts off 
The unbelief, it shuts off the doubt, it shuts off the carnal mind, it shuts off the doubtful, worry, anxious-prone, fleshly nature, and it heightens your spirit's ability and your heart's ability to receive the word with understanding so that it can begin to produce something of value in your life. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 13, Jesus said there's four types of soil. There's the soil of the wayside that does absolutely nothing. The seed is sown, and the enemy comes and devours the seed sown. Then there's the shallow ground. These are people that hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they don't have a depth of earth. And so when the sun arises and there's heat out there, it scorches the small little root that came out of the ground, and it burns it away, and it withers up, and it amounts to nothing. The third soil is the thorny soil. And those are them that hear the word, receive it, but the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in, chokes the word, and those people become unfruitful. But the final soil, Jesus said, and I believe this is you, this is me, this is us. As we fast and pray, that's what God's doing. He's tilling our land. Hallelujah. Do you know, God has said everything he's going to say in this word, but our ability to receive depends upon us. We have to till the soil of our heart, so that the word can be planted on good ground. Fasting and prayer does that. It makes you in a fertile, good ground so that when the word is sown on your heart, hallelujah, when the word is sown into your heart, the Bible says in Matthew 13, those are they, uh, they are those who hear the word and with understanding bring forth 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit according to their level of understanding. So faith begins when the word of God, the will of God is understood, known, and acted upon. And so when you fast and pray, you're tilling the soil of your heart to receive, readily receive the incorruptible seed of God's word so that faith can immediately be generated. A vibrant, fiery, passionate, lively faith can spring up from your heart and uh, empower you to do things that are impossible. For man. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God or the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit who is from this world, but we have received the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. These things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, listen to this, the natural man the fleshly man, the bestial man, the psychikos, which means the bestial man, the sensual man, the man who is given to his fleshly impulses, that man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot know them. They are spiritually discerned. How powerful is that? The fleshly man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolish to them. They don't even know how to receive them. They don't know them because they are spiritually discerned. So how does fasting and prayer affect your faith? Basically, by shutting off that natural man that is the uh, obstruction between us and faith, us and receiving the things of the Spirit of God, shutting off the natural man and quickening, making alive, awakening the spiritual man so that when the word of God comes, because remember this, make this very clear to you. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith does not come by fasting and prayer. 
That's why I'm being very careful here. Fasting and prayer, just because you fast and you pray, does not mean faith is going to come. Fasting and prayer positions your heart in a way where faith can be readily received as the Word of God is downloaded into your heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because if you read Romans 10, 17 very uh, clearly, and if you study the original Greek, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That word for word is not the logos, just the information of the word. Faith comes by hearing the rhema of God. The rhema is the quickened word. The quickened word. When you fast and you pray, that's when God begins to quicken things from his word into your spirit. What does it mean to quicken? It comes alive to you. It comes alive to you. You have that like moment that the two men on the road to Emmaus had when they were speaking with Jesus, Emmaus, while they were on the road to Emmaus with Jesus, and he was hidden from them. They didn't know him. They couldn't recognize him. But then when he broke the bread, when he broke the bread, the Bible says their eyes were open, and they said to one another, we knew it, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us along the way? And he opened up the word of God to us. Didn't our hearts burn within us? I've had times where I've just read the Bible and nothing burnt in me. But when I fast and when I've prayed, I'm telling you, there's something God does to your spirit, man, where the word begins to burn in you, where the word comes alive to you, where the word literally jumps out of these pages in this leather-bound book and it gets into your heart where you know that you know that you know exactly what God is speaking about and how to act on it. That's what fasting and prayer does. It burns off the obstruction to faith so that faith can be easily received, generated, and grow. And you can grow your faith. You can grow your faith. While fasting uproots unbelief, faith... Uh, reading the word, studying the word, will plant faith into your heart. And you can grow your faith. You can uh, improve on your faith. How do we know this? Well, let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I believe it's in verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, my brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Paul said to the Thessalonian Christians, we thank God for you always because your faith grows exceedingly. Exceedingly growing faith. Ever increasing faith. You don't have to stay at the same level of faith that you're at right now. I quoted it before, the just shall live by faith. That means the product or quality of your life is going to be a reflection of your faith. What is in here is what's going to manifest out there. And so if you have little faith, you'll have little results. If you have conventional faith, you'll have conventional results. If you have common faith, you'll have common results. But if you have marvelous faith, or like uh, Jesus turned to the centurion and said, you have great faith. If you have great faith, you'll get to enjoy great results. And the good news is today, you might find yourself saying, man, I don't feel like I have great faith. 
Some of you might even be saying, I don't feel like I have any faith. Well, that's a lie of the devil because Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, let me read that for you. Romans chapter 12 and beginning with verse 3, this is the word of God, not your feelings or emotions. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You have a measure of faith. Stop saying I don't have faith. Stop saying I just, I'm just full of unbelief. Well, you'll be continuing to be full of unbelief if you keep talking like that. Quit repeating what the devil wants you to repeat. Stop being the devil's parrot. Start saying what the Bible says about you. I have a measure of faith. If you don't have a measure of faith, you're going to hell. Because it's only by grace through faith are we saved. You have to have faith to be saved. If you have no faith, guess what? You ain't saved. If you're not saved, you're going to hell. So you need to get saved. So don't say you don't have faith. Instead, take inventory of the faith or the measure of faith that you do have and take necessary actions and steps to grow that faith, to develop that faith. There's some people who don't understand the concept of developing something. It is what it is. No, it doesn't have to remain as it is. You can develop something. You can grow something. You can add to something. Let me read this to you. Second Peter, and these scriptures are just shooting off. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. For this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. What does Peter say here? For this reason, what is he talking about? He just talked to them about how God's divine power is already in them. He talked about how they're partakers of the divine nature. He talked about how uh, through the word of God, they have escaped the corruption of this world and have become grafted into Christ and become partakers of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. God's life, his zoe, God's life force now dwells in us. And then he moves on to say, and for this very reason, because you're partakers of the divine nature, because you've been given divine power for all things that pertain to your life and godliness, for this reason, give all diligence to add to your faith. I want you to write this in the comment section. I will add to my faith. I will add to my faith. I'm going to take steps to grow my faith. I'm not going to be at the same level of faith by December 31st this year. I'm moving forward in faith. There's a scripture that I'm thinking of right now. I think it's in the book of Philemon. Nope, maybe Titus, hold on. I need, I need this scripture because it popped into my spirit. But I can't seem to find it, hold on. I thought it necessary. I thought it necessary. Bear with me. Let me just find it. Jude. I knew it was one of those like one like tiny book letters of the Bible. Book of Jude. 
right before the last book of the Bible. Jude ver, uh, verse 3. Beloved, while I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. So Jude here is saying, faith has already been given to you. It's the gift of faith. The Bible calls it, it is the gift of God, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. God gave you the gift of faith in believing him for salvation. He opened up your eyes. You have a measure of faith, as we read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. We just read in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we are to add to that measure of faith with all diligence. And now Jude doubles down and says, I wanted to write to you concerning our common salvation. I wanted to write to you a nice little letter about what Jesus did on the cross. But I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was already delivered to you. So he's not saying you guys have no faith. You need to get faith. He's saying you have faith, but contend earnestly for the development of that faith. Hallelujah. That shows you. You should never give a passive attitude towards developing your faith muscle. You never see a bodybuilder that's actually jacked. You never see him at the gym texting the entire hour that he's there. And then when people ask him, did you go to the gym? Yeah, I was at the gym all day today. But he was just texting. You don't see that. What do you see a bodybuilder at the gym doing? While everyone else is texting, while everyone else is talking, they're adding, they're giving all diligence, adding plates to their dumbbells and their barbells, and they're ever increasing in strength as a result of it. And because of that discipline, they're serious. They're systematic about their approach to their workouts. It's not just they show up to the gym, oh, what should I do today? No, Monday's back and legs day. Tuesday is pecs and buys. Th uh, Wednesday is whatever else. That's about as much as my gym knowledge goes. But they, they have a systematic approach to their workouts. They don't just show up. They give earnest, diligent uh, pursuit towards the development of their natural muscles. Well, your spiritual muscle is the muscle of faith. You can't, you can't go to McDonald's. And this is why fasting and prayer is so important. Because you're starving the McDonald's muscle and you're flexing your faith muscles. You're flexing your spiritual muscles. You can't go to McDonald's for 365 days in a year and expect to come out looking like you're, you know, Chris Hemsworth from Thor. You can't, you can't have that because you're sowing the wrong kind of seed for the right type of harvest you're trying to reap. You got to sow the right types of seed to reap the right type of harvest, the harvest that you desire to reap. Ain't that true? And so because faith is a muscle, there are spiritual weights that we have to lift daily to grow that muscle. The word of God is that weight. The Word of God is that spiritual weight that we must lift up daily. That's why the Bible calls it the shield of faith. The Word of God is the spirit, the sword of the Spirit, and it's also the shield of faith. Those are two things that require strength to lift up. You're, I'm not talking about little knives, kitchen knives. You ever lift up a medieval sword? Some of those things are not easy to wield and swing. They're heavy things. And you ever lift up a shield? 
I haven't, but I've watched other people do it. They're not little tiny wooden structures. They're heavy things, heavy shields that kings used to have armor bearers, people that were jacked to hold them into battle for them so that they didn't have to carry it to the battle. So shield of faith, sword of the spirit, both things you have to take up. Those are the spiritual weights that we lift in order to grow our faith muscle. And that's why Jude here is saying we have to contend earnestly. We have to give a systematic approach and a plan, a strategy, if we're going to develop those faith muscles. Hallelujah. And why is faith important to develop? Because everything we're going to have in life is going to be pulled down from the unseen realm of hope into the realm of reality by this muscle of faith. How do I know that? Well, by grace through faith are you saved. You can't be saved without faith. One. Two. The Bible says we overcome by faith. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. You can't overcome anything without faith at work in your life. Can't overcome the devil, can't overcome disease, can't overcome depression, can't overcome anything without faith. The Bible makes it very clear that when the woman with the issue of blood was healed, Jesus turned to her and said, Daughter, thy faith, thy faith has made thee well. So faith brings divine healing. You can't get healed without faith, and you can't stay healed without faith. Faith pulls God's healing virtue from heaven into your very body. Want to go even further? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, by faith we stand. You can't even stand without faith. Faith empowers you to stand for Christ. Faith empowers you to stand for righteousness, to stand for gospel, to be unashamed of the gospel, knowing that it's the power of God. That makes people, uh, that gets people saved. By faith we stand. The Bible makes it very clear that it's by faith that we have the ability to enter in in prayer. God doesn't hear every prayer. A lot of people's prayer time is just breath coming out of their mouth. God doesn't hear everybody that's just praying. You can pray a million words in unbelief. God will hear the prayer of faith in five words, more than the million word of unbelief prayer. God will hear five words prayed in faith more than he'll hear a million words in unbelief. Well, how do I know that? The Bible makes it clear. The Bible says that when that woman, who was a Syrophoenician woman, came to Jesus with her daughter that was demon-possessed, severely vexed at home, she said, come and heal my daughter. She's demon-possessed. Jesus said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She replied, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat from the bread that falls, or the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, whoa, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you have desired. Hallelujah. As you have desired. That woman got her prayer answered because she prayed in faith. The Bible says the prayer of faith will save the sick. So faith, all that to say, you can't overcome without faith. You can't be healed without faith. You can't be saved without faith. You can't stand without faith. You can't get your prayers answered without faith. You can't live without faith. The just shall live by faith. So if all these things are products of faith, how much attention should we be giving towards the development of our faith? Absolute attention. Absolute attention. 
You can't receive anything from God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, you can't even, you can't even please God without faith at work in your life. And then you can't get any of his rewards because he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How? By the laws of faith. Through the laws of faith. So how important is faith? You can't have anything come from God or come from heaven without an operation in your life. So we talked about how important faith is. We talked about how to grow your faith by the word of God. We talked about how fasting and prayer neutralizes the voice of unbelief so that you can better receive the word of God and the incorruptible seed of God's word into your heart so you can act out in faith. But now, let's finish off by talking about what are some of the rewards of faith that you can expect God do for you this year? What are some of the rewards of faith? What are some of the products of faith? What are some of the things faith will pull down into your life this year? Because you'll never give attention to developing your faith if you don't even know what faith can do for you. Talked about how faith grows. We talked about how faith comes. But what can faith do? What can faith do? I'll give you... One major thing, and then we're going to pray. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16. Above everything else, take up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Faith will quench. What does it mean to quench? Exterminate, put down, destroy, remove. Every fiery dart. What does that signify? Every attack the devil has flung your way, faith carries the capacity to neutralize that attack, to make it void, to render it fruitless and infertile. Hallelujah. And I'm praying that this year, even from this January fast, as you study the word in fasting and prayer. See, don't just fast and pray. Fast and study. Don't just fast and pray. Fast and go on an explorative study of the word of God. If your body's being attacked, study God's word on healing. Because anywhere that you're suffering defeat in life, you can know that there's a faith deficiency in that area. Now, you might say, that's harsh words. How could you be so judgmental? I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Because the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith does not empower you to be defeated. Faith does not empower you to lose. Faith does not empower you to struggle. You don't need faith's empowerment to struggle. Struggle comes for free in life. The struggle ain't real. The struggle is over because Jesus said it's finished. And the way we make that a reality for us is to develop our faith in the area that we're struggling in so that we can overcome by the word of our, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Hallelujah. Jesus himself said in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, if you have a mountain 
that's obstructing you from getting to a certain place, you can have faith to speak to the mountain, be thou uprooted and be cast into the midst of the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you will have what you say. You'll have what you believe for you can have what you say. You can have what you say. So anywhere you, any area of life where you presently see yourself struggling financially, if you see yourself struggling financially, go on an explorative study of the Word of God as to what He has to say about financial stewardship, financial prosperity, God's covenant of finances. Listen to preaching, read books on it. Get your spirit man strengthened in that area so that the fiery dart that the enemy's been throwing at you constant bills, constant setbacks financially, that thing can be put to rest and you can start to come out of penury and poverty and come into a place of provision and prosperity where you become a financial wonder to your generation. So you load, you know, people are so hurt and offended in our generation, more than any other generation. Because you say things like, if you're struggling in this area, you need to build your faith on that. How could you say, I don't have faith in that? How could you say, you are so prideful, God resists you, you're never going to get anything from God. The Bible says, if you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. Your strength is too small. And Proverbs 24.10 says, a man of knowledge increases strength. A man of understanding increases strength. He said it before, faith comes by knowledge of the word and understanding of the word. So if you're, you're failing because your strength is too small, and Proverbs says that our strength increases as we come into more understanding of the word of God, that means I'm not going to be offended at the prescription of Scripture. I'm going to apply heaven's prescription for my case so that I don't, I don't get resisted by God. Some people are too proud for their breakthrough. You know, I've been dealing with this uh, diabetes for the, you know, I've got type one, I was born with this, and that preacher told me that I have, I have, that person told me that, I, that it's my faith that's keeping me back. Well, I have all the faith in the world. Maybe you think you do. But let every man be a liar and God be true. If God said, if God said, that faith will extinguish every fiery dart of the devil and there's still fiery darts coming through. That means there's places in my life that the shield of faith has major holes in and I've got to plug those holes in with an understanding of God's covenant for that specific thing. For that specific thing. Wherever you are plagued with fear in, if you're fearful, you're faithless. So instead of getting offended by the fear, take, take responsibility just go on an explorative study of the Word of God so we can put down that fear and become faithful in that area so that we're fearless. Hallelujah. People get offended by the, the prescriptions of Scripture rather than honoring the Word of God and its prescriptions so that you can receive its reward. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus... Whatever area, now we're going to pray for the next couple of minutes. Whatever area of unbelief, doubt, carna, carnal thinking, natural, mi, natural mindedness that keeps you from receiving everything God has for you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, during this time of fasting and prayer, right now we take authority over that thing and the fire of God goes to war to burn it all out of your system. In Jesus' mighty name, let's pray that right now. Father, in Jesus' name, burn out all unbelief. Anything that would obstruct faith from entering into my heart, any soil of my heart that might be the wayside, that might be the shallow soil, that might be the thorny soil, Lord, let it be retilled and retilled. Fill it up with good, rich earth so that I can be fertile soil, so that the Word of God can produce something in my life, so that faith can be generated, so that faith can rise up to take hold of those things, so that I might fight the good fight of faith and take hold of those things Jesus paid a high price for me to have. In Jesus' mighty name, Father, as we fast and pray this month, I ask you, Lord, let all doubt, let all double-mindedness concerning your word, let it be subdued. Let it, I surrender those areas to your word. In Jesus' mighty name, Father, let all unbelief that I've carried, just like the man prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Any area where there might still be lingering unbelief, where there might still be lingering doubt, I ask you in Jesus' name, let the fire of your spirit burn it out. Make me faithful. Make me a person that easily believes the report of the Lord. Make me a person that with great ease believes everything this book has to say about any scenario or situation. In Jesus' name. Father, give me hyper faith. Give me radical faith. That's a good confession to make in the comment section right now. Father, give me hyper faith. Give me hyper faith. As I study your word, as I study your word, in Jesus' name, I've always taught we don't pray for faith, but we can pray that God gives us hyper faith as we study his word. Faith cometh by hearing. Father, as I hear your word, let it culminate into hyper faith. Let it generate great, radical, wonder-working faith in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Ha, ha, ha. In Jesus' mighty name, let any hindrance to that faith, let any hindrance to believing your word be burnt out by your fire. In Jesus' name, Father, may I not limit you this year in any unbelief. Let me not limit you with doubt. Let me not limit you with any skeptic mind. Father, burn out skepticism. Lord, take away pessimism. Father, take away negativity. Take away anything that would get us to look at your word, O oh God. And deem it as impossible. In Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus Christ. Father, that as we study, we would be approved workmen who need not be ashamed. In Jesus' name. Lord, as the Thessalonian church their faith grew exceedingly. Let this year be a year where our faith grows exceedingly. Put us on a path of ever-increasing faith as we dive deep into the covenant of your word. In Jesus' mighty name, in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Father, we, we ask you, as we pray in the Spirit, build up our most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost with me. God's going to supercharge your faith. That's what it means when he said he'll, he'll build up your most holy faith. It means you'll supercharge your faith. Like a battery gets supercharged. Those Tesla superchargers, that's what God's doing. Supercharging the faith that's already on the inside of you. Because that's another thing. Some of you have great faith, but you've let it go dormant. You've let it go idle. You've let it kind of get get stagnated. You've let it just go to sleep. Well, in the name of Jesus Christ, as we pray in the Holy Ghost right now, that, that vibrant faith that you've let, it, you've let it go to sleep, that vibrant faith you once had has gone dormant. But today, in Jesus' mighty name, it comes alive. It gets charged back up, supercharged back to what it was before. In the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Satan has desired to sift you as weak, but Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. We're going to pray now. One, God supercharge my faith. And two, Lord may my faith never fail. In Jesus' name. Pray with me. Father, supercharge my faith. Father, I pray. Lord, put me on a path of ever-increasing faith as I read your word. Give me uncommon faith as I read your word. Lord, make me a person that is seen as an optimist, but all I am is a believer. In Jesus' mighty name, Father, supercharge our faith. Build up our faith in, our, in a way, Lord, that we would become a wonder to our generation. In Jesus' name, and I ask you, Father, let none of our faith... Represented here on this broadcast today, Sharon, Candace, Marina, Judy, in Jesus' mighty name, Pastor Tyler, let none of the individuals here today watching live and those on replay, let none of their faith fail in Jesus' mighty name. Every attempt to discourage their faith, we take preemptive, uh, we, 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 take, we take a preemptive defense against that attack. In Jesus' mighty name, our faith will not fail. Our faith will not grow weak. Our faith will never be shaken. Our faith will never be moved. Our hearts shall remain steadfast, trusting in the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I speak this psalm over your life today. I speak this psalm over your life today. Nothing will become difficult for you to believe from the Word of God. Just like Mary. You're going to have Mary-level faith. Hey, you're going to have a child without ever knowing a man. The, the servant of the Lord, let it be unto me as you have spoken. That type of faith, I don't understand how that's going to happen. But I'm certainly not a fool to speak against it. Lord, you know, let it be to me as, as you have spoken. I pray the faith that makes things easy to believe from the Word of God, comes alive in your spirit today. Ridiculous faith that brings remarkable harvests. Hallelujah. Psalm 112. I speak this psalm over you right now. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his word. 
His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light and darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely, this is what I'm speaking for, over you right now. Surely, hallelujah, surely the righteous will never be shaken. Every attempt to shake your faith this, this year, you will never be shaken. You will never be moved. The rain might fall, the winds might blow, the waves might beat against the house, but that house ain't going to be shaken. That house ain't going to wobble. That house is not going to fall. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. The righteous will never be afraid of evil news. What, uh, hallelujah, whatever they are circulating on the news right now, Whatever projections for 2024 that would picture you as a victim of some global event, global cataclysmic event, attack against humanity, whatever even the globalists are planning behind closed doors to attack the needy, to attack the church, to attack the Christians. In the name of Jesus Christ, the noise of evil news will never affect your faith. You will carry unwavering faith in Jesus' mighty name. You will carry steadfast faith. You will not be afraid of evil tidings. Your ears will only be open to the report of the Lord. Didn't you hear? There might be another virus. All I know is as for me at my house, we serve the Lord and we will taste and see of the goodness of the Lord while we're yet in the land of the living. Did you hear? They're, they're projecting that five out of 10 people are going to lose their houses this year. Not me. Because the Bible says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. A thousand can fall to my side, 10,000 on my right hand. It won't come near me because I dwell in the shelter of the most high God. Evil tidings, I'm telling you, get ready this year to hear the most amount of bad news and heart-wrenching news all around you. But I'm also telling you, get ready for none of that to ever affect you in Jesus' name. None of that will affect you. Your heart shall remain steadfast. Your heart shall never waver in believing. You shall remain fully persuaded through the year and convinced that what God promised for you and your family, it shall persist, persist and it shall prevail. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. Hallelujah. I want you to write that in the comment section. I can't get past that scripture. I want you to write it in the comment section. I will not be afraid of bad news. I will not be afraid of bad news. No matter what they say on CNN, CBC, CTV, maybe for you, but that's not my portion. The Word of God is my portion. Hallelujah. The Word of God is my portion. The blessing of God is the table on which I feast. The menu of heaven is the menu I order off of. 
I don't see financial collapse in here. Hallelujah. I don't see financial collapse in here. I don't see being the tail all through the year. I see being the head and never the tail. I see me lending to many nations and borrowing from nobody. I don't see sickness and disease as my reality, as my story. I see divine health and divine strength. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't see mental collapse, mental breakdown in this covenant that God has given me. All I see is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I don't see anxiety and panic attacks for the year of 2024 and beyond. I see a river of joy bursting up out of my spirit. A river that can't be stopped and a river that can't run dry. Hallelujah. 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 His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. Write this in the comment section. The world is not my portion. The word is my portion. Hallelujah. The world is not my portion. The word of God is my portion. The world is not my portion. I might be in this world, but I'm not of this world. The world is not my portion. The word of God is my portion. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of, the, of my life. His heart is established. He will not be afraid. Hallelujah. Well, brother, I, I don't know how, you know, I see that in the Bible, but there are times I'm so afraid. I'm af you know what happened? You know what you should do when there's times where you're so afraid? You know what you should do? You should confess, I'm not afraid. That's how you break the spirit of fear. When you feel fear coming in like a crippling force trying to dry you up and drag you down instead of confessing your fears, instead of calling a friend and saying, hey, brother, can you keep me in prayer? I'm so afraid. Instead of doing that, you know what you do? You lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting and say, thank you, Father, that though there might not be a way in the natural out of this situation, God will make a way where there is no way. Thank you, Father, that I've got a different menu that I order off of. Thank you, Father, that the Bible says, say unto the righteous, all will be well for you, that things are going to be well for me. It is well with my soul, for I serve a God who is not prone to failure. I serve a God who endures continually in his goodness. I serve a God who said, I'll satisfy you with good things. I serve a God who said, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shifting shadow nor variance of change. I serve a God who's too faithful to fail me in my situation, and he's not going to start now. That's what you do. I don't feel God's presence right now. I don't know. I just don't feel him. You know what you do when you don't feel the presence of God? Father, I thank you that I feel your presence. I thank you that I don't even have to feel your presence. I know you're with me. You said you'll never leave me. You'll never abandon me. You'll never forsake me. You see, this is the kind of faith that's getting into your spirit today on this broadcast. You're not going to be a weak, dilapidated, emaciated, skinny in the spirit type of believer. You're going to be a warrior of faith. You're going to be one who doesn't get phased by the mouth of Goliath, but you get encouraged when Goliath speaks to say, hey, today, today is the last day you'll ever speak again. I'm going to take your head off and I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. I'm not chump for any shark to chew on. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
His heart is established. He'll not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. And you know what the result is? People around you that don't quite understand what's going on in you this year, as things are changing on a fundamental core in the spirit, in your inner man level, you start to lose the whole per pessimistic perspective on life and you start to put on the lens of the scripture and you start to put on the mind of Christ and you start to put on the goggles of the word of God, this is what's going to happen. Verse 10 says, the wicked will see it and they will be grieved, troubled, anguished. They will gnash with their teeth, but they will melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. And I'm finishing on this. And we're going to pray this, actually. Whatever plotting of the enemy, whatever ditch the enemy has dug out for you to fall in, not only will you not fall in it, the devil himself will fall into his traps. Hallelujah. Instead of letting the devil's threats scare you, let the devil's threats make you laugh from today onward. Whatever expectation from wicked people has been voiced concerning your life, the expectation of the wicked will perish, the Bible says. The wicked will melt away, and they'll only be able to watch God elevate you. They'll gnash with their teeth, but they won't be able to do anything to drag you back down. Hallelujah. You know, when Peter was delivered out of a prison in Acts chapter 12, the Bible says, now I know for sure. He thought he was seeing a dream. God can do things for you this year that you'll think you're in a dream, but it's not a dream. It's reality. And he thought he was in a dream, but finally he came to himself and he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has delivered me from the expectation of the Jewish people and the hand of Herod. The expectation of people that have been waiting for you to fall, their expectation will melt away. Their expectation shall not come to pass. The expectation of the wicked shall perish concerning your life in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody that's been saying you'll never have that. Everyone that's saying you'll always be poor. Everyone that's been saying you'll never get healed. Everyone that's been saying you'll never have that type of job. Everyone that's been saying that'll never be a reality. Keep on dreaming. Just like Joseph's brother. Keep on dreaming, Joseph. We'll never bow. They'll have to come full circle and realize this is the work of the Lord, and it is marvelous in our sight. In Jesus' mighty name, let's pray that right now. Father, let every expectation of wicked people around me, let all the expectation for my failure, my demise, my defeat, let it perish in Jesus' name. Let the angel of the Lord be dispatched. And let every desire of the wicked concerning my life come to nothing. Let the angel of the Lord be dispatched to ruin the plans of the enemy, to cause the plans of the devil to miscarry. In Jesus' mighty name, let every expectation of anyone wicked concerning my life come to nothing. Let it fail. In Jesus' mighty name. And thank you, Father, that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Hallelujah. That while they're expecting us to fall, we shall rise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to write that in the comment section. Final comment. I will rise. I will rise this year. I will rise. I will rise. 
When men say there's a casting down, I will rise. When men say there's a casting down, you shall say there is a lifting up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right, Lise. That's right, uh, Francis. God bless you, my friend. That's right, Emily. That's right, Debbie. That's right, Angela. That's right, Pastor Tyler. I will rise. I will rise, bless you. I will rise, Richard. I will rise. Yeah, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and God will flatten you low. No, he'll cause you to rise. He shall exalt. Hallelujah. He shall promote. He shall exalt you. The Bible says the proud shall be flattened, but the humble God shall exalt. Get ready. Get ready, Sozo Nation. Get ready for the greatest year you've ever had. I don't say that. I'm not saying that for everybody. I'm saying it for those that take God's word seriously this year. Those that abide in him. You will have the best year you've ever had. You're going to have a record-breaking year. Francis, I'm telling you, in Jesus' name, your real estate, you're going to have a record-breaking year. Even as you've taken steps to get an office, when you didn't have to, do, you could have a small mine and prepared small and just, you know, what they're projecting for real estate is kind of uncertain right now. No, you took a faith step. Well, God's going to hold you up above the waters in Jesus' name. You're not going to fail. You're not going to be defeated. You're not going to flatten out. You're not going to peak. You're going to be on an ever-ascending projection in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Get ready. Joanne, get ready for the greatest year you've ever had. In Jesus' name, you've taken uncommon steps. Enjoy uncommon results. In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Alicia, Hayden, oh, I'm telling you, as you obey and serve him, you'll spend your days in prosperity and your years in pleasure. Alicia, I'm telling you, this year, you're going to hear the voice of God like you've never heard it before. You're going to hear God voice, God's voice thunder in your spirit, making things so clear more than any other year before. In Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.